0: Just because you may be experiencing adversity, just because you may not have a job, just because the bottom has fallen out, that does not mean that He does not love you. Our sovereign God, who is for us, is working them out. I want to tell you something, the story ain't over yet.
1: Well, check the news headlines today, and you might just conclude there is little to have confidence in. We attempt to exist in the midst of instability. Is there hope? Where can we find rock solid confidence? Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lauretz. Today we'll hear the second half of his message, Confidence, a Done Deal, based on Romans chapter eight. We're learning that there is one in whom we can have rock solid confidence. It's in the God who made us. If you're new to our program, Crawford has been teaching and sharing the Word of God for over 50 years as a pastor, conference speaker, and seminary professor. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Crawford now serves as founder and director of Beyond Our Generation, a Christian leadership mentoring ministry. Well, last week, Crawford stated that we find seven questions in Romans chapter 8, but we're looking at three primary rhetorical questions listed there that help answer why we can place full confidence in God. We looked at the first question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pick it up with some concluding thoughts about question one and then move on to questions two and three. Here's Crawford Loretz on living a legacy. God is for us.
0: He's, he's, Proven his commitment. Verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, listen, listen. Listen to me. What he's saying here is this. You, do you honestly believe that I don't care about what you're going through? Do you know what I did for you? He uses a word, God who spared not. That word spared, it could have been translated, I almost wish they would use the, the other, it could have been translated uh, did not withhold. It is the idea of something that is of extraordinary value. God who did not withhold his son. The parallel in the Old Testament is Genesis 22 verse 12 when, when, when Abraham's offering up his son Isaac. And the knife is being raised, and God says, stop. For now I know you have not spared, or the the, the Greek Septuagint says, you have not withheld your only son. Crawford, no matter what has happened to you, you honestly believe that I'm not for you? You honestly believe that I won't give you what you need? In other words, If I didn't hold back my son, why should I nickel and dime you to death now? Isn't that proof enough that I want to give you everything that you need? Yo, it's kind of like you go to this jeweler and you see this extraordinarily huge rock. I mean, this big, cataract giving diamond. You know what I'm saying? Burn your irises. I mean, it is amazing. And the jeweler gives it to you. It would be like him giving you that extraordinary diamond and then refusing you to give it a case to take it home in. That's what the verse says. God who spared not his own son. He's going to graciously give you what you need. Now, I didn't say he's going to take you out of the heat. I didn't say he's going to take you out of the adversity. I didn't say that. This verse does not teach that. This verse teaches what I said a few weeks ago when Paul says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of that verse was whether I am in bad circumstances or good circumstances, I am being resourced by Jesus. And he's giving you What you need. Uh, That's the security question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Will I have what I need? You kidding me? Are you, you kidding me? You get more than you need. The second question is a legal question. Verse 33 says... Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, the legal question uh, is the question, am I guilty? Am I guilty? And the answer to that, if you're not a part of God's family, yes. Yes. You're guilty. So is I. So is everybody in here. The answer to the question is, Now, we're part of the elect. We can get off into the ditch on this one. The word elect, translated elect, is a Greek word that simply means chosen ones. Are you saying that God chooses people? Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. The Bible teaches that. Well, are you saying that God chooses people to go to hell? No, you just said that. The Bible didn't say that. Well, what about faith? Isn't faith all I need to know Christ? Absolutely. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you say God chose me? Yes. Well, how do you reconcile the two? Here's where a problem is. You don't. You accept it. And the point of the passage here is not, Paul's not trying to drive into the whole doctrine of election. He does that earlier on in the passage, and he does that elsewhere. I think that the, the tenor of the text here is that he wants us to understand that we're part of God's family. And it's like, the, the idea is, do you think, do you think that God who is for us is going to let anybody bring a charge against what belongs to Him? That's the point. No, 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 that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You, you, you're not going to charge God's elect. The word charge there, uh, it mean, it's, a, it's a legal term. It means to make formal, formal accusations in court. And it has to do with our sinfulness. No, we, 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 are, we cannot be charged. We are not guilty. Why? Because of two big reasons right here in the text. Number one, the biggie is that God justifies. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The word justify means to declare righteous. You get no bigger than God. If God is for us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies and declares us righteous. Now, the accusations may be true. The truth of the matter is, God has declared us righteous not because we were righteous. God declared us righteous because of the work of Jesus on the cross. We are guilty in terms of what we did in the past. Yeah, you lied. Yeah, some of you cheated on your husband. Some of you cheated on your wives. Some of you, some of you, you know, you were, you were involved in all kinds of legal, illegal activity. You were selfish. You did unimaginable things. All of us did stuff that we're not proud of. Were we guilty of that? Yeah, we did that. Yeah, we did that. And to be declared righteous doesn't mean that I didn't do it. And by the way, by the way, some people struggle with the assurance of their, of their salvation because they feel like they participate in their justification. And the reason why you struggle with whether or not you're, you're really a follower of Jesus is that you think that somehow or another your good works and all the stuff that you do for Jesus cooperates with God and helps Him to declare you righteous. But the Bible teaches all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We can't do anything to, to, to participate with Him in our salvation. It is all a work of God. He declares us righteous. He declares us righteous. And you will always struggle with assurance of your salvation if you think that any little itty bitty bit depends on you. Thus he says, it is God who justifies. The second reason why I'm not guilty, I mean, you know you, you know, you, our record has been esponged. okay? We know we did it, but you pull up the file, There's nothing there. Now, I know Crawford lied in 1972. I know he lied. I heard this is what he said. But it ain't here. Did you do that? Yeah, I did that back then. But how come it's not there? Well, if you look closely, you'll see red. It looks like blood. Nothing what I've done you can read. It doesn't exist. The record has been. Sponged. Uh, Our guilt has been paid for. Verse 34, I've stepped all into this already. It says, well, who is to condemn? All right, step forward. Step forward. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You know, and some texts are not meant to be surgically uh, analyzed. And I think this is one of them. Did you die? No, Jesus died for them. Not only did he die, he, he, he rose again. He's, he's my son. And not only did he rise again, he's seated in a place of a thought. Not only that, he intercedes for Crawford every single day. You going to charge him with something? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, well, I don't understand why not. Everything you have ever done wrong, he has paid for. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're guilty. Yeah, you're guilty. But why stay in, imprisoned? The door's open. Come to Jesus. Receive him. You see, the, 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 theologically, there's a little bit of mispreaching. And I, and I actually have made this mistake myself. Sometimes in our desire to make the gospel clear, we oversimplify it and we create a little bit of an error. Here's, here's what I mean. Sometimes we, we make the statement, we want to we tell people, the charges against us have been dismissed. You know, theologically, that's not true. The charges against us have not been dismissed. They have been transferred to Jesus. Yeah. If they were dismissed without being any payment, somebody had to pay for our sins. Okay. Somebody had to pay for it. If no one paid for our sins, if sin was not judged, then we have created, we've eroded the holiness of God. God cannot reduce his holy standards to accommodate sin whatsoever. So he came up with his own solution. He couldn't have a man because we were imperfect. The bulls and heifers and goats, they didn't do the deed. And so he looked around, there wasn't an angel available because they are created beings. He looked around, the only one that was available was someone that was a part of his nature. Someone that was pure and holy. And so he sent his only son. But here's the deal, when he cried out on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me, there was a transference of our guilt placed on him. Our sin was placed on him. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God says you cannot condemn any of my children because I paid the price. You can't do it. So you're not Guilty. I was trying to think of an illustration this week, and I thought of uh, this is terrible. That terrible event in Florida where the guy was—what uh, do they call that thing when you're surfing on the? It's got a. There you go. I knew you knew it. Uh, remember the guy? That was one surfing guy, and the sharks ate him. And when they showed, did you see the picture of all those sharks around him? I don't know. I've ever seen a. I don't want to call it a school of sharks. There was a swarm of sharks there. And I thought about this. What God did is kind of like your dad telling you, don't go in that water. There are sharks out there, don't swim in the water. But you decided that you're going to do it anyway. So you jump in the water. Your brother is the lifeguard. And your dad turns to him and says, why did he do that? And your brother stands up with the binoculars and he sees this swarm of sharks. And he throws the binoculars down and he runs and he dives in the water. But he's got a decision to make because he realizes if he tries to save his brother, the sharks will be on him and he will be lost. So what he decides to do is to divert the sharks and they come after him and kill him. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. The judgment was on him. Well, there's the, the security question. If God is for me, who's there against me? Then there's the legal question. Who shall lay a charge against God's elect then thirdly there is the relationship question who can separate us from the love of Christ and the question there is will I ever be abandoned listen to what he says he says no no one or nothing can separate us from the love of Christ That question is found in verse 35. But I want you to understand something. I want to make a a, a very significant distinction, and please, this is very important. Notice the expression, it is the love belonging to Christ. Uh, In the Greek text, that's the genitive case, which means possession. It is love belonging to Christ, it is not our love for Christ. If it's our love for Christ, could something separate us? Yes, because our love for Christ, even at its very best, is imperfect and inconsistent and inadequate. It is not how we feel about Jesus. It is not our love for him. It is his love for us. And it's the Greek word agape, his unconditional pursuant love that never, ever, ever changes. Nothing can mess with it. There's nothing you can do ever do in your life that will make Jesus stop loving you not one thing you think of the most hellacious perverse things in the world there's nothing that can ever separate you from His love. And and, and Paul is grappling here, and he he puts it in two categories. He says, our current conditions cannot separate us from His love. Look at what he says in verse, uh, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered the mess that you're in right now that's not going to separate you from His love. And I think there's a little bit of an ellipsis here. He's saying, just because you may be experiencing adversity, just because you may not have a job, just because the bottom has fallen out, that does not mean that He does not love you. And I hear the shadows of verse 28 when He says, for all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, that even in those things our sovereign God who is for us is working them out. And one side of maturity is when you stop, you, you stop, you stop reducing your vision of God to your current condition. And just because you're going through a hard time, we got to stop acting, and I, I'm talking to myself, we gotta stop acting like little spiritual spoiled brats. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. So our current condition does not affect his love. Then he says in verses 37 through the end, extreme circumstances doesn't affect his love. He inserts in this, verse 37, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. No, that agape love, that resilient love that he has for us keeps us keeps pulling us through, keeps pulling us through, keeps pulling us through The thing that you can count on when you can't count on anything else is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know that his love is everlasting. When you don't have a dime to your name, they repoed your car, they repoed your house, and you don't know if you're going to get another job. You can count on the love of the Lord Jesus. He articulates four extreme circumstances that cannot affect Christ's love for us. Number one, extremes of existence. Look at verse 38. For I'm sure that neither death nor life. <laughs> death nor life. If you die, that's not going to affect the love of Jesus. And the whole idea of life there, whatever happens in this current life is not going to affect it. As I said a few weeks ago when I cited Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is not affected by extremes in existence. Number two, it's not affected by extremes of supernatural forces, nor nor angels, nor rulers. And then the last, last two words of verse 38, nor powers. He says there's no demonic forces in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a member of his family, the devils in hell cannot affect God's love for you. There's no power, there's no person, there's no set of circumstances, there's no issues in life. None of that can affect the love of Jesus Christ for us. It's not affected by extremes in time. He says here, uh, nor things present nor things to come. What has happened to you? Does not affect the love of Jesus for you. What will happen to you does not affect the love of Jesus for you. And then, fourthly, extremes in, in space. He says, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. In Christ, there's nothing that can swoop down from heaven and get you, nothing that can swoop down from underneath you and get you. You are held by our Lord Jesus. You're held by Him. I don't know how to end this message with a practical anything other than just the realization that we're kept by Him. I want to give one balancing perspective. To be loved by Jesus does not mean that we have a license to live any kind of way we want to. God always judges sin. We can choose our sin, but we cannot choose our consequences. Never forget that. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. And God will always judge sin. In fact, fact, the sign that God does love us as his followers, I quoted this a few weeks ago from Hebrews, that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. But the fact that he disciplines us means that he loves us. And he
1: cares for us. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, with the second half of his message, Confidence, a Done Deal. Here are those three rhetorical questions again that we find in Romans chapter 8. Number one, if God is for us, who can be against us? Number two, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And number three, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And with that, we conclude Crawford's series, Rock Solid Confidence. We hope it's been helpful. And if so, please let us know with a quick email to Moody.edu. It would be a tremendous encouragement to hear how God is using Crawford's Bible teaching ministry in your life. Jot on our email address or load it into your phone right now. Here it is, legacyatmoody.edu, edu. If you missed out on some of today's broadcast or any of the messages in this series, catch them all on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Look for the link past programs. And this program can also be found on many podcast sites. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.